Hey everyone, I'm Phil Albertelli and this is The Week in Doubt, a podcast for atheists, agnostics, and whoever. And this is episode 411, I think. Last weekend, I re-released yet another holiday special, my mini-documentary episode entitled A Brief History of Thanksgiving. And so I believe that one was automatically tagged as episode 410, thusly making this, check out my math skills, episode 411. That sounds good. Let's go with it. And speaking of Thanksgiving, how's that for a segue? Uh, I had some downtime for the first time in a while. My brother is my boss, and he had some stuff he had to take care of. He went with uh, my sister-in-law up to New York. And so I had Friday, Saturday, and today, Sunday, off. And I planned on getting all of this stuff done, on being really productive... And uh, first up, you know, first off on my list was getting my uh, my COVID-19 booster, which I did. I was surprised by how difficult it was to find an opening between all the people out there who seem, shall we say, uninterested in getting vaccinated. And the fact that the vaccines have been out for so long now, I thought it would be really easy. But I tried booking an appointment online with a number of pharmacies in my area, and once again, to my surprise, I couldn't find anything at all. And so I decided to try a local supermarket that has an Osco pharmacy inside. And uh, I went up to the counter and voiced my interest in getting a booster, and the girl behind the counter said, oh, well, you should make an appointment online first. And I said, I tried with Walgreens, I tried with, tried with CVS, I tried with you guys, and can't get an appointment. And so she was like, okay, we can give you a booster shot, but it's about an hour-long wait. I said, okay, that's fine. And so I did eventually get the shot. And it's very strange. I have older relatives who have gotten all their vaccines, who have gotten the booster shot, and they tolerate them very well. They never really felt off or had any serious reactions to them. It must just be something in my genes. Either that, I'm just a wuss, I don't know. But the first vaccine I got felt a little woozy or lightheaded the first day. The second day felt kind of like I had a mild cold or flu. And then, as quickly as it came, it went, and I felt fine. The second I got Moderna, by the way, the second shot was worse than the first for me, and I really felt like I had a bad flu the second uh, day. And by the uh, by, the morning after that, felt one hundred percent better. This time, felt fine the first day. Didn't really feel anything, and then the day after, Saturday. It was like I was hit with a hammer. It was like uh, Chewbacca was river dancing all over me. <clears throat> that was weird. But just felt like total crap. Chills and muscle aches all over, like I was in the grip of a really bad flu. I felt too ill or infirm to, you know, try to push through and do anything productive. So I just had to lie in bed. And at the same time, um, felt so off that I couldn't even fall asleep. So it was very bizarre. So I spent all of Saturday and um, a good portion of today, Sunday, just like stuck in bed trying to sleep. And I would try to find stuff on YouTube that was long enough to fall asleep to. Very strange. And uh, so I think I must must have listened to the same stream 
it was like an hour and a half long stream of Cenk Uger's nephew, Hassan, reacting to a recent stream that Tim Pool did where, and this sounds so surreal, like something from a fever dream. Tim Pool has this big kind of RV or trailer and he was parked on the side of the road and had Blair White, Alex Jones, and Joe Rogan and a bunch of other characters all inside this mobile vehicle. Well, mobile vehicles that redundant, you know, this RV or trailer. And, um, you know, talking about COVID and conspiracy theories or whatever the heck else, you know. And so I feel like I listened to that like five or six times while trying to fall asleep and couldn't. Very bizarre. But I wanted to make sure that I got an episode out. So I pushed myself out of bed and, you know, here I am. And I've noticed a lot of little clicking and popping noises. These kind of little audio glitches lately in my recordings. So I'm trying a different mic cable and I have the uh, mic plugged directly into my computer or computer and uh, as we say in New England, you know, instead of into a USB port where the signal then has to be relayed or travel farther. So I know it's superstitious, but fingers crossed and uh, let's see what happens. And so before we begin, I think I'll just try to quickly take care of some more corrections and or clarifications. Okay, so first up, I was talking about the book of Revelation because there was that Newsmax correspondent who was kind of fair, well, kind of fear about vaccines, claiming that they're satanic and she herself had referenced the book of Revelation. And so I've long been fascinated by this idea that the infamous number of the beast, 666, is actually a coded reference to the Roman Emperor Nero, and I believe that's actually the scholarly consensus. But I was talking about it during that last episode and mentioning how in the ancient world, Greek and Hebrew characters or letters also had or still have numerical value. And that if you add up the numerical value of Nero Caesar, you get 666. And I was thinking out loud, trying to remember if it was in Greek or Hebrew, and I think I guessed Greek, which technically isn't wrong, but I believe it's Greek transliterated into Hebrew. But things get a little further confused, because if you start with the Latin version of the name and transliterate it into Hebrew, you get 616 instead of 666. But there it is, uh, 616, the number of the beast, doesn't quite have the same ring. And then I was talking about Marilyn Manson taking part in a prayer circle with Justin Bieber and Kanye West and mentioned how some think this may have been Manson attempting to quote-unquote uncancel himself in the wake of all the sexual assault and abuse allegations. And I'm still not sure if I necessarily buy that. It's possible, but it could also just be Manson being weird. But either way, I mentioned how the allegations, I probably shouldn't be laughing, range from cutting and electrocution to drugging and even non-consensual penetration. And apologies if you're someone who's easily upset by this kind of subject matter. 
Um, but I think where I may have gone wrong or should have offered a caveat or clarification is that I said the non-consensual penetration supposedly took place on the heels of the drugging, at least in Evan Rachel Wood's case. Um, but let me read this passage from a Vanity Fair article. In 2018, Wood testified before a House Judiciary Subcommittee as part of an effort to get the Sexual Assault Survivors Bill of Rights passed in all 50 states. And here's a quote. My experience with domestic violence was this. Toxic mental, physical, and sexual abuse, which started slow but escalated over time, including threats against my life, severe gaslighting and brainwashing, waking up to the man that claimed to love me, raping what he believed to be my unconscious body. So she doesn't specifically state, at least not there, that she had been drugged by Manson. So it's not clear if he drugged her without her knowledge or maybe just plied her with drugs and or booze till she passed out or if she was just asleep. It seems unlikely the way it's worded that she was just sleeping. She's suggesting that she was unconscious enough that Manson thought he could get away with having sex with her without her waking up. But still, you know, it doesn't matter how she became unconscious. Penetrating someone while they're unconscious or without their consent is still sexual assault and a violation of their bodily autonomy. Uh, you know, sometimes a lover might try to caress their partner while they're sleeping. They try to playfully rouse them from sleep to see if they're in the mood. But I don't think that's what was happening here, you know. But I just wanted to make that clarification and once again, to be fair, these are allegations and he hasn't been convicted of anything in a court of law, you know. I think it's important to make that distinction. But as I was saying in the last episode, me personally, and I say this as a Manson fan, that I have no reason to doubt the accusers. And I think it's probably a case where, you know, where there's smoke, there's probably at least some fire. But yeah, it's always kind of dicey or uncomfortable talking about those stories, not just because of the disturbing subject matter or details, but because, you know, you want to do right by the alleged victims. And at the same time, you want to keep in mind and emphasize the fact that the person in question who is being accused of doing these awful deeds, you know, hasn't had their day in court yet. So it's tricky. And there was actually a related correction I wanted to make, but it's so neurotic, it's just going to make me seem super self-critical or borderline nuts, you know? I was talking about an anecdote where Jim Morrison supposedly once grabbed Janis Joplin. I said by the head. I probably should have said the hair and tried to force her head into his lap. Not sure that that distinction even merits noting, but there it is. But either way, I think that's it for the corrections. And it's funny, I think it was also in that last episode that I mentioned Jordan Peterson in passing. I say in passing, but you know how long-winded I can be. And it's kind of unnerving how bad my memory has been lately. I can't remember why exactly I brought him up, but I remember talking about how... He had this conversation on his YouTube channel with this Canadian sculptor, and I had taken issue with some of what that guy had to say. I believe he was a convert to 
I think Greek Orthodox Christianity, but the guy was basically trying to blame cancel culture on the quote-unquote new atheists. And I forget if it's based on a quote or where specifically it comes from. You might hear it invoked when people are discussing the supposed perils or evils of communism, the somewhat hackneyed idea that if you get rid of religion, then something else will come along and take its place. So this guy was suggesting that political correctness, cancel culture, that this is, you know, a result of the rise of new atheism. And it's coming back to me now. I remember discussing the very term New Atheism and how it was coined by a journalist back in 2006. And as far as I know, it was never a label that many atheists or non-believers, myself included, ever really eagerly embraced, including, I think, the you know notorious four horsemen of New Atheism, the late great Christopher Hitchens, Richard Dawkins, uh, Daniel Dennett, and Sam Harris. And I gave a few reasons why I think this is a flawed or erroneous or absurd notion. One is that simply atheism far predates, you know, the, uh, the four horsemen or so-called new atheism. I imagine atheism is probably at least as old as religion itself. The first time some guy started bowing down in front of a statue, there's probably another guy off to the side rolling his eyes, you know what I'm saying? And another point I made is that things like political correctness and identity politics also predate the Four Horsemen in their works. Admittedly, books like The God Delusion and God Is Not Great did become pretty popular, but not so popular that I think you can blame them for the current obsession with pronouns, you know? But the reason I'm retreading all of this is because I recently saw a Jordan Peterson YouTube thumbnail that kind of made me want to throw up in my mouth a little. Sorry about the imagery there. But, and like I said last time, you know, Jordan Peterson has said some things that I take issue with. I don't agree with him on everything. But I don't hate him, and there's even things I like about him. But nevertheless, I saw this thumbnail, and I was like, ugh. You know, it's Jordan Peterson's smiling face, and next to him on his right is the grinning face of that Canadian sculptor. I think his name is Jonathan Pajot, or Pajot, I don't know how to pronounce it. Anyway, the guy that tried to imply that there's a link between the quote-unquote new atheists and cancel culture, political correctness, etc., and then to Peterson's left are two other faces, and in big letters it says, The Four Horsemen of Meaning. And I know it's probably just meant as some kind of tongue-in-cheek thing, but still the obnoxiousness of it, the presumptuous self-congratulatory air. It just, if I could vomit a continuous stream on my iPad where I'm looking at this thumbnail, you know, for 24 hours straight, I would. Ugh, gross. And sorry for all the vomit talk. I should watch it for my own sake, too. You know, when you're feeling sick and someone just says something like that? Anyway, onward. So there's been so many stories that have piqued my interest lately that I've wanted to cover on the show that it's almost overwhelming. So I'm going to try to go through the backlog a little. Now, this one doesn't have anything to do with religion or atheism, but as someone who publishes content on YouTube myself, and as someone who's frequently consuming the content of other YouTube creators, 
this one has definitely caught my interest. So YouTube is basically getting rid of the dislike button. In fact, they may have already done so. You can still see the thumbs down button next to the thumbs up, but it appears to be completely non-functional. So for all intents and purposes, they basically have already gotten rid of it. And so I believe this article is dated the 10th, and it's from TechCrunch, and it's entitled, YouTube is removing the dislike count on all videos across its platform. And I should probably give credit where credit is due. It looks like the author of the article is Sarah Perez. And so it begins, YouTube today announced its decision to make the quote-unquote dislike count on videos private across its platform. And that seems so odd, making it private. So I guess you can see, in theory, how many people have disliked your video, but others can't. So in a way, it might still potentially make you neurotic, but at least others can't see. The decision is likely to be controversial, given the extent that it impacts the public's visibility into a video's reception. But YouTube believes the change will better protect its creators from harassment and reduce the threat of what it calls quote-unquote dislike attacks, essentially when a group teams up to drive up the number of dislikes a video receives. And I'm kind of chuckling to myself there because I'm all too familiar with the phenomenon. I remember back in the day, there was this misunderstanding where atheism is unstoppable mentioned me in one of his videos, and it was meant to be a positive thing, but his flying monkeys, his devout viewers or whatever, his fan base, took it the wrong way, and a bunch of them came and just downvoted one of my videos into oblivion. Well, actually, I think... Whether you're upvoting a video or downvoting it, it still counts as engagement and makes it more likely that your video will be kind of picked by the algorithm and, you know, pushed into people's feeds. But obviously, it still doesn't feel good. But yeah, it was just a kind of weird mix-up. And it actually resulted in a number of those people kind of apologizing and leaving positive comments and becoming, you know, listeners or viewers of this show. Uh, I'm not sure if any of them are still around or if they just dropped off over the years or whatever. Um, yeah, interesting though. Now, to be honest, I kind of have mixed feelings about this whole, you know, removing the dislike button thing. On the one hand, as a fairly sensitive person who is also a content creator, there's kind of a, you know, a guilty little part of me that likes the idea of not having to worry about the sting of seeing, you know, a video that I labored on downvoted, you know. But then again, as I was sardonically joking, you know, I guess it just privates the dislike so you can still see it and feel that sting, you know. But maybe it's kind of like an ego thing. At least you don't have to worry about other people, about the world, seeing how poorly received one of your videos was. But there's another part of me that kind of feels like, maybe choose like a video game analogy, it almost seems like kind of a cheat or like you're kind of crippling the experience. It's like if there's a game you really like and you buy some downloadable content that makes your character super powerful, it's cool for the first couple of minutes, then it feels like there's kind of an empty feeling and that the challenge and the thrill of the risk is gone, you know? I think the possibility of being downvoted almost adds a certain excitement, you know, and as brutal as it can be to have something you labored over downvoted, 
It can also be a valuable source of viewer or audience feedback that can lead you to take, you know, personal inventory and ask, why was it that I was or my video was downvoted? Is it possible I had a bad take or there's something I was missing, you know? And there's a good point I've heard others bring up. You know, YouTube claims getting rid of the dislike button is about protecting creators. But there's probably a good chance that it's more about protecting big corporations, including YouTube itself. There's been numerous examples of late of big companies, once again, including YouTube, releasing tone-deaf videos that get absolutely downvoted into oblivion. And I think it's important that big corporations can be humbled like that and forced to rethink their positions. And so I think at the end of the day, even though it may mean less hurt fee-fees, you know, I think it's probably ultimately a bad thing that they're taking the dislike button away. But while I'm already criticizing YouTube, there's something I noticed a while back that I've been wanting to mention on the show, but I just haven't gotten around to it. And that's the addition of something called YouTube Shorts. And so it's a new or relatively new feature that YouTube has implemented. And the feeling I get is that it's kind of YouTube's answer to TikTok, you know, kind of trying to cash in on the popularity of bite-sized content. The videos are literally only seconds long. I think the max they can be is 60 seconds, so a minute. And most of them seem to consist of or feature young, shapely, attractive women jumping up and down. That's pretty much it. Now, as a straight male, I'm not necessarily complaining, but at the same time, I can't help but notice what seems to be a certain degree of irony or hypocrisy YouTube often polices other people's content, demonetizes channels, uh, you know, scolds people for controversial content, and pays lip service to wanting to create a kind of friendly, safe environment for everyone. And yet this new feature they implement seems to basically once again consist of, you know, busty young chicks jumping up and down while scantily clad. And so you might be thinking, well, maybe you're just a pervert and those are the clips that are being recommended to you based on your viewing habits, you know. Uh, but no, actually, my YouTube viewing habits are pretty darn innocent. I'm usually either watching atheist content, uh, political videos, even product reviews, uh, cutesy animal videos, you know, like the dodo and that kind of stuff. And one day, this stuff, you know, when they implemented this feature, all of a sudden I noticed it at the top of my feed. And that's where they show up. The uh, shorts show up above the regular recommended videos. And I'm like, what is going on? And, and it's nonstop every day. It's And I'm once again, straight dude, not complaining. <laughs> but I'm like, this is weird, man. It's just like, Busty young women jumping up and down, but sometimes there's different themes or so-called challenges. And yeah, yeah, I, you know, maybe I clicked on, on a few of these. Maybe, maybe, maybe uh, 10, 12, 20 of them. It's all for the sake of research, I swear. But uh, on a serious note, kind of, I do have mixed feelings about it. On the one hand, there is that obvious eye candy element to it that I'm not going to complain about. But there is also a kind of cringe element, too. 
Because with this modern, you know, internet social media culture, everyone's hungry for approval and likes and hits. And this kind of really exemplifies that. And sometimes they can also be cringy because, you know, sometimes you'll get a girl that's kind of awkward, but she's still trying to shake her stuff for the camera. And so you're kind of watching through one eye and squirming with vicarious embarrassment. And an ethical concern or something that seemed kind of, you know, sketchy to me is the fact that a lot of the channels that are publishing these videos seem to have really generic names and the videos aren't all of the same girl. So my guess is it's people trolling the internet and harvesting clips of young women, short clips of young women from other social media platforms, etc. And then publishing them on YouTube and raking in the ad revenue. And a lot of these videos average almost half a million views. So imagine what that ad revenue would be like. It's probably a pretty nice chunk of change. But let's move on to something else. The longer I stay on that topic, the uh, creepier I feel. So this story is probably pretty stale by now, but it's right in the wheelhouse of the show, and I really wanted to cover it. So it involves Michael Flynn, who was Trump's national security advisor, at least for a brief stint. And so I believe it took place on the 13th of this month, but he gave a little speech or spoke at, uh, I believe it's called the Reawaken America Tour, this kind of pro-Trump, pro-QAnon kind, of, uh, kind of event. And he made comments, which I found pretty disturbing, I think a lot of other people did too, where he promoted the idea that America should only have one religion. And that religion, of course, Christianity. I had trouble capturing the clip, so I'll just play it on my phone, and hopefully the uh, quality isn't too horrendous. Here we go. And, he's and they're talking about the United States of America. Talking about the United States of America, because when Matthew mentioned it in the Bible, he wasn't talking about the physical ground that he was on. He was talking about something in the distance. So if we are going to have one nation under God, which we must, we have to have one religion, one one. One nation under God and one religion under God, right? All of us together, working together. And so you might think, hey, that's just one little, you know, clip or soundbite. What's the big deal? Well, the big deal is we're supposed to be a nation that values and recognizes the importance of the separation of church and state. I'm being a little sarcastic here, but maybe someone needs to remind him that our Constitution includes neither the words Christ nor Christianity. And speaking of the Constitution, there's also, of course, the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment. You know, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. And so it's supposed to help ensure that the government doesn't enforce any particular religion on the people. And simultaneously, that individuals are free to practice their religion of choice without persecution. It's strange to think that the Founding Fathers were shaped by Enlightenment values, and many of them were deists. I think Thomas Paine was actually an atheist. Jefferson, of course, you know, made the Jefferson Bible, where he literally took a razor and cut out all the miraculous bits from the Bible. Um, and uh, it's the year 2021. We have to deal with people like this. 
And then at that same event, the Reawaken America Torah rally, there was another speaker by the name of Sherry Tenpenny. This fairly high-profile anti-vaxxer once again had trouble downloading the clip, so I'm going to turn once again to my trusty iPhone, and let's listen to what crazy shit she had to say. People have got to start saying to their bosses who are requiring them to get tested if they don't get a shot, that you need to start saying to them, torture is illegal in the United States of America. And you repeatedly testing me for being non-compliant and disobedient is torture. And I think that we're going to be writing that up and we're going to say... Your life must be pretty cushy if you consider getting tested during a global pandemic to be torture into the EEOC and we're going to start accusing you and these policies of being torture. Call a spade a spade. And we know that this is murder by injection, right? And you're supposed to give this as sacrificing your children to Balak. I think she meant Balak. To Baal child sacrifice being resurged in these final days from the Babylonian mystery schools I'm not sure the that's Tower a of thing. Babel and the descendants of Nimrod and this is what is happening and if you see anybody participating in this you need to be challenging them of what they are doing to their spirituality and what they are sacrificing their children to you know, I had a really good friend who said, you know, we've sacrificed over 60 million newborn, unborn babies in abortion. We have multiple states in this country who actually allow late-term abortion. Now we are doing very, 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 very late-term abortion by killing five-year-olds. She have any proof that small kids have died from getting vaccinated, or is she just pulling it out of you-know-where? This is happening in America, people. And it's your job to stop everybody you know and wake them up and shove it in their face. And if they defund you off of social media, who cares? Now it's about trying to save unborn babies and pregnant women. It's about uh, the, they, they now are actually starting a trial in to give these shots to six month olds. This is child sacrifice. This is the resurgence of child sacrifice from the days of, of the Babylonian mystery schools. As it said in Genesis six, and what Jesus himself said that in those final days, it will be like as in the days of Noah. Noah. And what were they doing? Child sacrifice. And what else were they doing? They were giving and giving in marriage and not paying a bit of attention to things. And their thoughts were totally on evil. This is evil. There's that morbid right-wing watch jingle at the end there. And so she mentions uh, Babylonian mystery schools. Now, as someone who has a lifelong love of mythology and ancient religion, etc., mystery schools are actually a thing. Now, I don't think I've ever heard of any Babylonian mystery schools outside of conspiracy theories, I, I think. But yeah, in the uh, they were very popular in the Greek or Greco-Roman world, uh, so-called mysteries or mystery schools. There were the Eleusinian mysteries, um, the Dionysian mysteries, the Mithraic mysteries, I think. And uh, it just refers to kind of cults, not necessarily in any negative way, but the small religious groups 
that had kind of secret knowledge that was only revealed to the initiates. And even if Babylonian mystery schools were a thing, who cares? Probably still more fun and interesting than modern Christianity. <laughs> you know, it's like if you're trying to scare me away from them, you know, you're doing a bad job. It, it sounds intriguing. It's like, oh, do they worship ancient gods? What kind of secret knowledge can I, you know, ascertain? If you know so much about them, tell me where I can sign up, you know, but crazy stuff. And I have to joke about it or I'll just lose it. I can't believe there's actually people like that out there. Uh, well, doing this show for almost 10 years, I should know by now that there, sadly, there are people like that out there. But I'm going to call it quits. I'm going to call this episode a wrap. You guys know the drill. You can like the Facebook page. You can follow the show on Twitter, even though I'm not on there much. You can check out the YouTube channel. Maybe you're doing that now. If you'd like to support the show monetarily, you can go to patreon.com slash theweekendout and support what I do here for as little as 99 cents a month. All right, brothers and sisters, until next time. And uh, as always, thanks for listening.